Welcome to Wireless Future. Um, I'm Eric Larsson and I'm here as always with my colleague Emil Björnsson. Hello Emil, how is Stockholm today? It's a great sunny day here. How is Linköping? Oh, it's also great. A little bit of snow, like a millimeter or so on the lawn, uh, above freezing, slightly above freezing, I think. Yeah. Um, today we have a guest um, from Aalborg, um, Peter Popovsky, professor of wireless communications, uh, fellow of the IEEE, Willum uh, investigator. Hello, Peter. How is Aalborg this morning? Hello. Hello. I think uh, following up, I think it's, uh, it's also sunny. And uh, it seems that uh, Sweden has been following us in lifting the restrictions and coming back to normality these days, right? That's great indeed. And we all look very much forward to that, I think, after something like uh, nearly two years of the COVID pandemics. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Wow. So Peter is a uh, longstanding uh, friend and collaborator and is also an expert on wireless communications. Uh, particularly on uh, Mac layer technology for 4G, 5G, and 6G. He's also an author, a prolific author of papers, and also of a recent textbook that just came out. I see that, Emil, you're sitting with it. Yes. Um, Maybe you could hold it up for display. Um, Wireless connectivity, an intuitive and fundamental guide. So this is a text that I'm also a proud owner of a copy, uh, which unfortunately I forgot (laughs) (laughs) in my office. I'm right now in in the recording studio, obviously. Uh, so this is a nice book, I think, that targets like, uh, how to say, uh, uh, maybe not the layman really, but uh, it's really a soft introduction to the topic of, of wireless. And one thing I like in particular in the book are the illustrations, which really, I think, cater to the young generation indeed. Uh, um, one of my daughters just uh, turned a teenager. She started to read the book and then she came back after two pages and said, Daddy, what is duplexing? And uh, I think that's really concerning <laughs> <laughs> the touch here. So um, today, uh, Peter, we are going to talk with you about a uh, term and a technology that goes into, I believe, at least partly into 5G, and that is ultra-reliable, low-latency communications, or URLLC for short. So I think to start this off, I'd like to hear your view and explanations on the terms themselves. I mean, to the layman, it might seem that reliability and latency are really the same thing, right? I mean, you could take reliability to mean that, um, well, you just get your data in time with low latency or, or low or no delay. Uh, Still, it seems that the technical definition of these two terms, reliability and latency, are different. So, um, how is that? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Thank you, Eric and Emil, first uh, for having me at uh, at your podcast, which I think it's uh, it's a very, very important uh, input to our research community and to the engineering community of wireless, a very unique uh, and, and very timely effort. And I'm, I'm happy to be guest on it and talk about the topic I talked for a relatively long time on. This is ultra-reliable, low-latency communication. And um, as, uh, as Eric says, uh, it has uh, two elements there. There is a reliability and latency. And uh, when I was thinking about this question, uh, 
uh, which Eric and Emil sent it to me earlier this week, uh, I find it deceptively simple because I, I because it's uh, normally to a communication engineer, reliability and latency are clearly distinguished. But what here the question is uh, that somebody would expect latency things to happen uh, instantaneously and just just to happen uh, deterministically, right? So let me uh, try to, to to unpack it. Uh, ideal communication would mean that uh, things are happening instantaneously. So, so we are basically transmitting the information from one point to another instantaneously and perfectly. Uh, then if we now take a step back and look into, into the fundamentals of physics, and let's say even the relativity theory of Einstein, we have the horizon of events, right? So things do not happen instantaneously. We need some propagation time to, uh, for things to happen. So we can say, okay, let's if we adopt the framework of the special theory of relativity, we say there is some time that needs to pass uh, for, for things to happen, uh, but uh, it's the, the, the event is reproduced ideally. If you remember in Einstein's thought experiments, uh, there are these uh, lightings and so on, which are reproduced uh, ideally after certain seconds. And uh, that, is, uh, the, that is the physical delay in, uh, imposed by the propagation. And then uh, now let's take Einstein's experiments of uh, light propagating and taking time to propagate, which is kind of carrying the latency, and assume that a random blockage occurs on the light then this means that the information may not be transmitted perfectly, right? So it might happen that the, with some probability, we do not reach that event horizon, even if the light is telling us that we should reach it deterministically. That's the reliability part, right? So if we combine the reliability and latency, then we are arriving to a description of an event uh, in a statistical way that is going to happen within a certain time, right? So uh, the reliability is, uh, is, is referring to the statistical nature of it, and latency is referring to the fact that it takes time. Still staying uh, with the uh, Einstein experiment, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting to see that what he assumed in his, in his uh, thought experiments was that uh, we have uh, infinite rate transmission of information, right? Because the, the light is just uh, being... Uh, reflected, so it carries information about the entities from which it's reflected, and it's ideally reproduced at the other side. In communication, in, digital, in the digital world, we have a certain limited data rate. So instead of just saying that the event is propagating within a given time and with certain reliability, we also have to add what is the rate that is required for that event. So, so suddenly this digital world has more parameters than these uh, thought experiments mm -hmm. that were used in, mm -hmm. in theory of relativity. So what you're saying is that there is always going to be a latency because of this physics and reliability refers rather to like what is the probability that we can guarantee a particular uh, latency target? Is that is that a correct assessment of the terms? That is a correct, but I would say that's a very basic latency because uh, again, coming back to the theory of relativity experiments, we never speak about the uh, processing time at the observer. Uh, and that processing time at the observer for reproducing the information is also going to take time. And actually, it is a dominant time, mm. maybe in the, in the latest, mm. when we have a decompression mm. of a video, playing out of a video and so on. 
So uh, I like to think within this framework of physics, uh, of uh, the theory of relativity, but the interesting thing is that in the digital world, we are adding up points which do not exist in the, in the original thought experiment. So we also know, for example, from um, a basic communication theory that we do some form of a block coding. So we do not just send every bit as it comes. So we do some coding. And then when we transmit it, we have to use some time to reconstruct information mm -hmm. from that code. And all this gets additional latency on top of the propagation latency. Yeah, so the, the, the processing will, will add to the actual physical transmission time. I think that's something we might be uh, returning uh, to. It seems like an important distinction. What do you think, Emil? Yeah, uh, definitely. So. Uh, uh, of course, reliability and latency have been important things in, in wireless all along. I suppose the, the new thing here is that it's ultra-reliable and particularly low latency. So uh, in what use cases do we need to go beyond the reliability and latency that we have in previous networks? And uh, do we always need that? Can we sometimes get away with uh, only low latency or only high reliability? Or um, So... Uh... I think that um, uh, the idea of having very high reliability for wireless comes from the fact that uh, we have started to build uh, networked cyber physical systems with cables and they were working you know, quite reliably, but they lacked the, the flexibility of uh, recomposing, moving parts and so on. So we say, can we do that with wireless in a sense that uh, uh, Ultra-reliable wireless is uh, expression of a desire to achieve with wireless what basically has been achieved by cables. Mm. So the question is, uh, can we have this wireless connection which is uh, active uh, almost all the time? And um, uh, I would say that uh, any real-time system where we, we need uh, that things happen with high reliability within a certain short time window could be benefiting from the um, uh, ultra-reliable low-latency communication. On the other hand, uh, if we look how we have designed our communication systems, we say that we have, for example, a part for computation, part for compression, and then part for transmission, and, and so on. So we have these chains uh, of modules within the system. And then uh, 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 let's call this a layered system, as a layered design then uh, what we would say is that if we make a block of wireless connectivity, which is offering very high reliability and low latency, then we can use this as a building block to build something else, right? And in some sense, putting very stringent latency and reliability requirements on the wireless is a result of layering. Is part of this, uh, I, would, I like to call this uh, high reliability and low latency a victim of layering, because once we... Uh, once we uh, separate them into a block that offers such a high performance, then we can use it as a building block into something else. The other question is, uh, if we are aware about the actual requirement of the application in a given set, uh, do we need to have such a stringent latency and reliability requirement? And this refers to something that for a long time has been called cross-layer optimization or coupling of the layers. Uh, and, um, and I think the interesting question in that sense is when you say, uh, I want to deliver this packet with reliability 99.99% within one or two milliseconds, the interesting question there is what happens if you do not do that? And uh, the, the, the point is that there is some system 
there's certain safety uh, measure within the system or there are some other ways in which the system can absorb these types of failures. The question is, what is the cost of these failures when they happen? And, and that's why uh, we have to look, uh, let's say, holistically within the whole uh, application in order to understand whether sometimes we can relax this requirement. Uh, and um, for example, if we have, uh, if we require only latency, let's let's try to decouple that. If we just have have a, a low latency, that means that we do not give guarantee, statistical guarantee that the packets will be delivered with high probability. This means that we have other means. For example, there could be a, a predictive uh, model, some machine learning method, or some other methods which upon lost packets, they are trying to compensate for them. But otherwise, when the packets are arriving well, they are arriving uh, with very low latency. If we look only within, uh, with the reliability, uh, then we have a different type of system design where we say, okay, within some relatively large latency, we have highly reliably an input coming. Then let's align our systems to these uh, uh, longer term updates so that our system can can operate reliably. And, and again, we are going to use certain models and machine learning to compensate for the, for the time lost or, or, for, or for, the, for, let's say, for the missing arrival of a packet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it seems to me that the difficult thing here is really to get reliability and low latency at the same time, right? I mean, you could think of like it's easy to get reliability in, in, in a way that you just keep sending, keep repeating your data until it reaches the recipient and eventually I, that might ha- should happen, right? I mean, if you just add enough repetition coding, use enough power spread over enough time and bandwidth and so forth. Um, at the same time, um, you could also achieve low latency if you don't care about reliability. Just ship off your data and uh, there's going to be some minimum latency time, presumably because of propagation delays and because of processing and so forth. But the, but the really difficult thing is to get both at the same time. Do you agree with that? And I mean, could you point a little bit to like the technical challenges involved yeah. in achieving latency and or low latency and high reliability high reliability simultaneously yeah i think uh, uh, this brings us to the very basic uh, communication theory and the communication model of shannon uh, because yeah. uh, be- before 1948 uh, let's say before he, he let's say uh, started this the, the area of, uh, of of information theory and, and, and made the mathematical theory of communication uh, I believe uh, there was a there was a pre- pervading thought that by sufficient diver- that you need to uh, to add a sufficient diversity, repetition, and so on towards infinity in order to achieve reliability. But that would bring your rate to be zero because you're going to repeat the same data. Mm. Uh, I think it's instructive to look into the into Shannon's communication mm. model. Well, where well we Peter, talk about... uh, I, I think really when I said repeating, I meant like, well, keep on adding more and more parity bits and so forth. Yeah, but, that's, um, that's what I, that's what I, I, that's what I, I, that's what I mean. Maybe I that's mean, what you're after here. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm after. So, so let's take the communication model where we have, uh, let's say, a single use of a channel, a single transmission, right? Uh, first, let me, uh, let me say that in Shannon's model, there is no time specified. There is only causal uh, relationship between the channel uses, how we go one by one, right? 
And if we want to achieve low latency, then what we would do is we would take the data and just send it over that channel. But that's automatically not reliable because we are left with the reliability of the channel as it defined by nature. On the other hand, what uh, Shannon is saying is, uh, is saying, uh, look, you have to uh, not use the channel one time, but you have to take your data and code it and use it multiple times. And the more you encode the data, the, 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 then, then the, the better reliability you are going to achieve, provided that your rate is under certain, uh, certain uh, uh, value. This is uh, clearly illustrating the trade-off between reliability and latency, right? Because if we assume that channel users are taking a specific time, as I said, periodically, that means that the more you wait uh, to do this encoding, the more you collect the data mm -hmm. and make longer blocks, the higher the reliability that you can mm -hmm. achieve. So this is even mathematically captured. It's there, the, indeed. It's there, yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a nice illustration, I think, uh, um, of the, say, technical relationship between these two terms right latency in terms yes. of when do you actually send the bit versus when can you decode it reliably and reliability in terms of the well probability of error that it actually arrives uh, correctly within exactly. the time window so you said a number before which one can also find in many places when it comes to reliability goals here 99.9999 i guess it's five nines or <laughs> should it be four or six where does this yeah. number really come from i mean there is <clears throat> yeah there is a uh, th th there are multiple numbers of reliability which are floating around in different areas there is also this six sigma right where we we look into the Six Sigma spread of, of processes and so on, hmm. and 99.999% uh, is uh, if you look into uh, that's a digital systems or any system which is which is running and has to be maintained with high reliability. So five nines would mean that the system is down uh, around five minutes per year. So so that would uh, that would correspond to that. So this is this is where the number is coming from. And the interesting thing is that uh, when you are uh, doing this, for example, for data center, then uh, this 99.99% is referring to all the things there, which is the storage, the power supply, and all the elements which are connected to the function in the data center. The sum of all of them, or let's say the product of all of them, should lead to reliability of 99.999%. And I think it was uh, these numbers of uh, this number is kind of a symbol of high reliability within um, within the digital system. So I think it was adopted uh, early on within the within the ultra-reliable low-latency wireless. Uh, the thing is that uh, again, this this number is only for the block of the of the wireless link, and even for the one-way transmission of it. And if we want to look into the overall end-to-end -end performance, there are other blocks that we have to add there. And, they are, and adding more blocks is going just to decrease the reliability. I see. So another thing you were mentioning earlier was uh, diversity, that uh, we need to sort of, for example, spread the data over time and uh, bandwidth in order to, to get some more reliability. Mm -hmm. uh, are there other types of uh, diversity that we can utilize to achieve reliability and uh, and do they sort of help in the same way or are they sort of complementary in some way? Yeah, sure. So if we take the uh, theoretical case of uh, very low latency and reliability that goes to one, that means that we just have to use an infinite bandwidth, right? So if we use infinite bandwidth, uh, then in principle, we have a perfect reliability and very low latency. Uh, 
Uh, now, of course, the reliability and latency should come at a certain constraint of power, of bandwidth, and so on. Uh, and so we cannot use infinite bandwidth, but, but obviously if we increase the bandwidth where we do the, our transmission, we are going to get a, a level of diversity. And then, in, uh, especially in wireless communication, when we have frequency selective uh, channels, so this is going to give uh, a, a, a diversity and uh, statistical independence of uh, different transmissions that could lead to, to, to very high reliability. Uh, another level of diversity is a spatial one. And you both are, uh, are prime, primary experts in the area of massive MIMO. And you, you could also say it in the same way I said for the bandwidth, okay, if you increase the bandwidth to infinity, then you get perfect reliability. Then you could say, if you increase the number of antennas to infinity, you get perfect reliability. It's not in the same way as with the bandwidth, right? Because, uh, because we, we, in, the, in the case of multiple antennas, we are not, uh, the, the, the way in which we are getting diversity is different from the one that we are getting with bandwidth, right? Even if we have, uh, again, infinite degrees of uh, freedom, uh, theoretically. So, but, but this also says that the obvious uh, candidate for adding diversity is, uh, is, a, is a spatial diversity and multiple antennas. But as we all know, using those is involved with certain overhead estimation and so on. So it's not always easy to keep the low latency uh, uh, so it's, it's another, there is another challenge where we have latency reliability challenge with respect to, to multiple antennas, estimating and using them. And uh, another one is, um, uh, which is always useful, is a two-way retransmission uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, ARQ processes. So because we, we tend to think, especially if we are closer to the physical layer, we tend to think about one-way transmissions. But eventually the systems require two-way transmission where we have acknowledgement and uh, you know, re uh, confirmation of reliability and so on. Uh, and um, in that sense, we can use uh, ARQ processes. Uh, the, thing, the problem with the ARQ is that it consumes time because the acknowledgement has to be causally related to the previous transmission. So we have that these steps are, are taking place in time, and this is how we are eating up the latency budget. So we have to be careful with using this degree of freedom. Finally, if we go at the higher layers, we also have uh, the opportunity to use multiple uh, interfaces to, to transmit our data, and that is going to, to lead to some, some, some form of interface diversity. So, so diversity is really a key here, right? I mean, in order to combat the wireless fading, which might be the most important culprit, culprit when it comes to achieving highly reliable communication it still seems to me i mean i understand the uh, spatial aspect that you add more antennas and you get spatial diversity which improves your reliability and mm. uh, correspondingly and you increase your bandwidth then you'll expose your signal to more and more independent realizations of the fading in the frequency domain right although the power that you spend is also spread over the larger bandwidth so the trade-off at some point isn't maybe entirely obvious and uh, ARQ or time diversity is a little bit maybe less convincing because if the goal is to cut on latency, you don't want to keep on like retransmitting and sending uh, yeah. ACK and ACK bits back and forth and so on. Um, yeah, so um, I think I'd like to return to this question that Emil posed with numbers and um, it 
seems like a useful rule of thumb to remember that 99.59% reliability corresponds to five minutes of outage during one year. And that might certainly be fine, I mean, in certain applications, but you could also argue that like, well, I mean, if this is like a video game or a social media app or something, then five minutes is actually not much, right? You probably could live with like half an hour of outage or something else. But on the other hand, if it is a control algorithm in a nuclear power plant, then, you know, I don't want a five minute outage per year there. <laughs> so <laughs> it still seems to me that is five niner percent reliability is a very arbitrary number that's you know just came up with it over a cup of coffee or or a beer or something and and then you put it there as some kind of de facto standard for what wireless transmission is targeting right uh correct me if i'm wrong in any case yeah, that's, um, that's correct that's correct <laughs> it's over a cu- cup of coffee or, or or a glass of wine even more <laughs> Yeah, so continuing on the theme of numbers, then another figure that seems to pop up here and there in terms of latency requirements is one millisecond. So why that number? I mean, why one millisecond? Um, yeah, I, I th- that is also might be related to the same cup of coffee you were mentioning before. Because uh, I think the, the the original requirement, w- or, uh, which was posed for ULC in uh, 3GPP, was to send uh, 32 bytes within one millisecond with the reliability 10 to the minus five, which is basically five nine. If I go back in the early days of one of the uh, first uh, big 5G projects we were doing back in 2012 and 13, so I was in I was in charge there in the project to define the requirement for ultra reliability and low latency. And um, what I thought was that we need to define uh, short-term reliability, which is URLC today, and long-term reliability, which is kind of more relaxed uh, latency requirement, but also still high reliability. And then I, there was a big project at that time with uh, telecom operators and so on. So what I did is I interviewed them uh, and uh, and tried to find where is the where is, where is the border between. Uh, low and uh, short term and 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 long term, so low latency and, and and higher latency, and it turned out to be 10 milliseconds at that time. And then uh, I saw the number of one millisecond within uh, within uh, the uh, 3GPP, but then in the meantime, uh, this n- number has been developed into various numbers because. Uh, uh, not every application requires one millisecond. And then, um, uh, if you if you look, uh, for example, the Open RAN uh, specification, they are dividing the timing process into real time, less than 10 milliseconds, near real time between 10 and 100 milliseconds, and uh, non-real time in seconds. Then you have this um, association 5G ICRA. Uh, which is uh, for uh, industrial automation and control uh, using a 5G within that context. They are defining uh, hard real time, which is uh, microseconds even and uh, milliseconds. Then there is soft real time, which is on the order of second, and uh, non-real time, which is multiple seconds. Right. So this is so there is some uh, more uh, relaxation there. So if you see the some of the latest uh, releases of uh, 3GPP. They're also doing um, 
segmentation, depending on applications. There are, there's, for example, process automation that requires tens of milliseconds. Then there is a factory automation, which requires from 0.5 to 2 milliseconds and so on. So this is saying to me that there are going to be certain coupling, certain cross-layering with upper layers where we're passing parameters and trying to satisfy the timing requirements depending on the on the application. And what we have tried with my group um, is to, to, to write a consolidated paper on the uh, question of time within, uh, within wireless communications as we are moving towards 6G. And uh, because there are also other timing measures like age of information, freshness, and so on, there is a two-way latency. So, uh, uh, so the, I think the consistent way to look within, within timing and reliability is the following, to say, uh, we need within these uh, communication systems to have two different types of statistical process, either statistical decision or statistical estimation, as we do in all uh, <clears throat> statistical signal processing uh, uh, problems. So uh, the question is, th this statistical estimation or statistical decision is taking place within a certain time frame. So we would like within a certain time frame to achieve certain correctness of mm. the estimation or that some event happens with certain reliability and then we are putting this in a perspective of time. Uh, using that perspective, which is general, then we can accommodate various mm. reliability and latency requirements. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so referring to like the, the number one millisecond. So one argument I heard, I think, some time back was that one millisecond is the time that it, where a human can notice a delay like for example a musician who might be plucking a guitar string and then if you introduce a delay between that plucking of the string and we actually hear if you're wearing like uh, earphones then if that delay exceeds a millisecond then you would notice that there is something wrong i'm not sure if that's accurate or uh, not but i i suppose one could relate numbers of this sort like a millisecond to to actual experience um, of humans at least for for applications where humans are the end users of of the system right yes but in the example that you are giving for the for the musician we should also take into account that there is a, a delay of audio processing and and so on so so I, I think if, if if it's a millisecond for the, for that, then we have to probably add the other one. On the other hand, I, I saw numbers like uh, for a, for a visual input for yeah. a picture is registered if it is seen for longer than thirteen milliseconds. Thirteen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. That's good to know. So, uh, but I mean, staying with the physics, one millisecond is actually quite a long time, right? I mean, light mm. travels this much, like thirty centimeters in a nanosecond. So. Uh, one meter takes three nanoseconds, one kilometer takes, um, what, three microseconds, and uh, something like a thousand kilometers takes three milliseconds then, right? So um, yeah. in a millisecond, you can get very far. So in terms of the actual propagation delay of the electromagnetic waves, then a millisecond is a very long time. So. Yeah. I mean, do you agree? So, so the main yeah, components of the latency are for most systems elsewhere. I mean, excluding like satellite links and so forth that go like halfway around the globe, then um, the, the actual propagation of the wireless um, EM waves 
is this a very sh- little part of a small part of this millisecond latency um, yeah i totally target? i totally agree so the, the latency is elsewhere there so because uh, if we are looking into a let's say factory floor automation then we are within a distance of meters right mm. and according to to, to this uh, the the i mean uh, nanoseconds delay, more or less yeah, yeah. <laughs> nanoseconds so it's, yeah. it doesn't doesn't really matter what uh, what 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 really matters is the uh, processing and the communication mm. uh, the delay there so um so what what i what i think is uh, uh that uh, th- there are multiple elements there so if we think for example of the uh let's take a com- compression so we have uh, the, the compression takes time uh so so if we if we want to do the compression then we are getting a lower rate the better we do the compression the lower the rate we are getting but the compression will, is going to take time so we are going to eat up the latency budget then we are getting a low rate and this low rate is easier to transmit uh with a higher reliability but wait we have eaten the latency budget by the compression so we have less time to transmit uh, the, the signal and plus uh, there are issues when we go to very low latency there are of course issues with the real-time operating systems uh, and how the controllers are made because there are certain read and write processes there that do not happen instantaneously right there is a there is a reading system uh, within the controller that is you know fetching the data sending and so on mm. so all this adds up to a latency where the propagation latency as you mentioned is mm. negligible, negligible in most cases yeah so this i think yes. is a very important point that you're highlighting that the the propagation delay itself is nearly negligible i mean i think we said earlier right the kilometer corresponds to what we say uh three microseconds which is nothing right and but it might yeah. be other delays on the physical layer though i mean i'm thinking of like the in nr isn't it like an ofdm symbol is something like 70 give or take a few i guess but microseconds that's not much on the other hand you probably want like a frame with a couple of at least a couple of ofdm symbols on uplink and then a couple on downlink and then you need to switch in between at least for tdd operation there needs to be a switch right from uplink to downlink and then if latency or if the transmission includes both an uplink and the downlink component then that switching time is just going to be there and the ofdm symbol duration is just going to be there as well so there might be exactly. like other things than the just the the, the sheer distance <laughs> it takes for the wave to propagate yeah interesting uh, and, yeah and, but but this is a very interesting point you're highlighting uh, eric because what you're saying is that the format of a synchronous system like we have with the frame and so on the very format of a synchronous system is adding its own delays because you have to wait for your turn and so on and and we can think that the same happens maybe at within the device where we have certain process of reading and writing of real time and so on and in that sense uh, i think it becomes interesting to look into alternative processing systems which are asynchronous like the neuromorphic and so on where yes. things happen yeah not or you know we just go back to analog right <laughs> <laughs> so we scrap all these buffers and all decoders and uh, uh, what else like yeah, algorithms that take time to iterate and need to store lots of data and you know 
Ja, hur du säger Emil. Ja, så obviously we we can't change the the speed of light and it is already moving fast enough I suppose. But uh, if you think just from a deployment perspective, if there is a base station 500 meters away and you you have the opportunity of deploying a small cell in your factory or or where you are, uh, so you would then of course shorten the distance for the propagation is it worth it in order to sort of get better liability and latency uh, based on the calculations uh, quick calculations eric was doing probably probably not probably we have to uh, we, we have to harvest the lower latency elsewhere and um, and i think the idea of analog transmission is is really good uh, to 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 go towards that we have to go a step back and say why did we use digital transmission. I think there are at least two major reasons. One is the regenerative nature of it, that we want to have a perfect reproduction of it. And second is the easy integration of uh, data and metadata, right? Uh, because, uh, because we can put this metadata that is explaining what the data is about, and based on that, we, we can interpret the data. In the analog case, uh, when we are getting something, we do not know about its integrity, right? So we do not have the CRC check really on it. We have to have some analog domain constraint and so on, which would still be a coding and still a latency, right? So if we want to have this integrity. But I think the idea of having the metadata sending being sent digitally, because it's a discrete set, and uh, the other data being sent analog, in an analog way could be interesting. And I think this is happening within 6G in a sense that we are looking into a combination of communication and sensing. Well, sensing is some form of analog data that we are not controlling. The question is, uh, how do we integrate that within the synthetic data that we are sending over uh, communication link, right? So, 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 the, the, so, so the point is whether, whether we could find the architecture of signaling and metadata to integrate this, uh, these types of information. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I think it also that, the, the case for deploying a small cell to prove your your LLC performance would not really be about uh, sort of shortening the propagation distance, but perhaps improve the communication channel in other ways, like mm. uh, more line of sight or uh, yeah, less obstacles in between, mm. or or more predictable yeah, channel. Yeah. That if you can find yeah. mm-hmm. So if we look at like I don't know from a more fundamental perspective at the future, then. Suppose the way we were to scrap every, not everything we know, but everything like we have built, right? Like standards and so forth, and design a new communication standard for wireless from from a clean sheet that would support ultra reliable and, and, and low latency communications. Um, how would that differ? What components would go in there that aren't currently like in in, in 5G or maybe 4G, but let's talk 5G. Um, could you show, shed some light on that? I mean, what would be or what would be the new technology components that we would have to throw in there in order to really achieve these five niner goals and this millisecond and all that that we talked about? Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, uh, with the systems that are working already, the standardized systems and so on, we have to be very careful with revising them because you know these systems contain wisdom of a, of a lot mm. of practitioners oh, yes. and people that have, <laughs> that have that have implemented <laughs> these systems and so on. So 
you know, it's easy to say, I have this very nice uh, idea about transmission, but then you figure out that you need signaling. And then for that signaling, you need something else and so on. And suddenly the, the, the advantage of your technique disappears. I think uh, we have seen something with the uh, comp coordinated multipoint, where it looks great that you have these distributed antennas, but the signaling between them and the outdated uh, channel state information and so on was not really helping to achieve that performance. So, it, so in some sense, I think we need to look uh, what what we could uh, revise uh, to, and, and I think this is, 3GPP is already doing this. Uh, for example, redefining the frame so that we can have a faster switching between uplink and downlink for, for to have uh, ARQ processes. Then we have a uh, grant-free access. Uh, I, I think, in, in my opinion, uh, understanding better how to enable two-way communication could be one of the key points here. Uh, because think that we are the way we are doing two-way communication is uh, is practically always in the following way that you send some data and then you get a single bit acknowledge, uh, acknowledgement or not acknowledgement and then based on that you iterate uh, based on uh, incremental redundancy. What happens if you put certain machine learning or, or certain predictors at, at at both sides that are trying to figure out what is uh, happening with the transmission and then maybe sending a different type of feedback mm. right yeah that's an interesting thought um, hmm. um what do you say yeah middle <laughs> yeah i was starting to think about uh, that of course if we do ultra reliable low latency communication we will sacrifice something like like data rate and there are more than than one service that people are talking about when it comes to, to 5g with this being one of them. In episode 26, I think, I was talking about network slicing. And usually when people are saying, oh, 5G should support different services through network slicing, they like to talk about end-to-end -end slicing or some kind of isolated slicing. You take your, your physical network, you divide up into really isolated parts, one for ultra-reliable communications, but one for mobile broadband, and maybe one for something else. Uh, but I've seen that you have been working on some kind of non-isolated, non-orthogonal type of network slicing, where I guess the reason for, for making them uh, really orthogonal to each other is that they will not interfere. So we just slice up the resources and then each system can be optimized on their own. But what will be the benefits of having multiple services in, in a network and uh, still letting them be non-orthogonally implemented? Mm. So uh, <clears throat> I think the key word here that you mentioned was uh, that they should not interfere. I think the way, uh, uh, if we take it a more general view on that, is not that the system should not interfere in terms of wireless signal, but they should not interfere in terms of performance. And then once we go to that level, we say, what are the other options? Can we, can we mix the signal within the wireless domain? Uh, so uh, let's, let's see, for example, the, uh, the excitement that our community has about NOMA, non-orthogonal multiple access, and let's say rate splitting or similar techniques. These techniques are known in the, in the information theoretic community since the 70s, right? Uh, I mean, the multiple access channel, uh, the, the main result, one of the main results in the multiple access channel is that we should allow the signals to interfere to increase the overall uh, some capacity uh, or to reach some uh, points of the capacity region which are not reachable with orthogonal transmission. And then the question we asked there was, can we mix the signals 
and still achieve uh, 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 the, the desired performance uh, level. And the motivation here was uh, uh, what we call the reliability diversity, in the sense that if you, if you say that uh, ultra-reliable low-latency communications requires 10 to the minus 5, and then you have the broadband communication that requires error probability of 10 to the minus 2 or 10 to the minus 3, this is two or three orders of magnitudes of difference. That means that uh, uh, the broadband will re regard the ultra-reliable as a perfectly reliable one because it's just three, three orders of magnitude better. And the question is, uh, so it's the same way, uh, let's say it is the same way in which uh, somebody that designs, uh, let's say a MIMO system, uh, and then you're you are going towards a channel estimation procedure, your favorite beamforming and so on. But what you assume all the time is that the reliability of the underlying hardware is 100%. You don't think about it. Uh, because that's, and the, the reason for that is that it's uh, it's a, couple of orders of magnitude larger than the system that you're observing, right? So that's why you are ignoring that. So the, the point is that can we uh, benefit from observing this difference in, in, in terms of uh, reliability with several orders of magnitude? And that leads to some interesting uh, possibilities for mixing wireless signals, uh, let's say URLC and uh, EMBB and so on. So for example, uh, uh, one can say you should never mix the ultra-reliable latency communication with the broadband. But you're given a limited spectrum chunk, so we'd like to use it as much as possible. So if you have very sporadic ultra-reliable requests, then most of the time your spectrum will stay unused. It's like the military spectrum, which is highly reliable, but perhaps not used all the time. And on the other hand, if you use, it, if you use the spectrum uh, for broadband, then you should not put very high rate because from time to time uh, it can be inter interrupted by uh, by ultra-reliable low-latency transmission. So the, so the point here was that if I design the system to work for ultra-reliable low-latency transmission and I ensure some reliability, then this could be observed as perfectly reliable by the next service of the diversity, mm -hmm. and then we can design that level of, of, of service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so are you suggesting like even with network slicing and different owners of different pieces of spectrum and so forth you could still i mean when, when a packet comes that's really critical that really has to arrive right now and with all this five nine reliability and so forth and the system is just irrespective of what's going on in this different frequency or slices of the spectrum just transmit it all over everywhere and it, just tell everyone it, else in the net, network to, to shut up and then send this packet and um, get it through. So in that in in, in that respect, like um, interweaving, also irrespective of how, how how the network and how the spectrum is sliced, then use all resources that are physically available to to, to transmit when it's critical. It's it, in principle, if you if you design your critical system to account for the underlying interference, then you know you you use as many resources as you can. But keeping in mind that if you if you are able to decode that system with high reliability, that means that you can remove it using successive interference cancellation, and for the mm. other for the remaining system, mm. the system looks clean without any interference, right? Yeah, I see. So rather sending something and then using that something as decoded everywhere and subtract it off so that the fact that it interferes doesn't make a difference or 
or isn't really constitute doesn't really constitute an impairment in the end. Exactly, and yeah. plus, uh, plus, keep in mind that uh, there is an interesting uh, relationship with latency and reliability. Is that if you go with a, f- f- uh, if you design the system to be able to decode the highly reliable and low latency uh, service, then uh, the, the the systems with relaxed latency and relaxed reliability can wait for some times until the interference is cancelled and then decode the rest with, with certain reliability. Yeah, I see. Interesting concept indeed. So maybe staying on this line of thought, different protocols, I mean, I think you mentioned earlier grant-free as one technology, grant-free random access as one technology that would or should maybe enter, well, future generations of standards that are to support your LLC. Um, will this be the one? I mean, grant-free access, uh, will that be a deal breaker, uh, you think? Or are there other um, types of technology in the random access protocols that will be game changers eventually? Uh, I think uh, the, uh, the, the how it's called, the grant-free is uh, is definitely removing uh, some of the the, the grant free is definitely removing some of the uh, delay, but it's putting challenge in terms of uh, reliability, because um, uh, the, the, when when it's grant free it means that we have not prepared the field for our clean transmission right because uh, because if you are granted transmission, then it means that you you have the medium with high reliability and. Uh, uh, so the, on the other hand, I think the generalization of grant-free concept is to say that we decrease the number of steps in the access for getting, you know, for getting uh, access to, to, the, to the medium. For example, uh, if, if you see the, in the LTE, I think there were 12 steps, include, including uh, some authentication to, to arrive to the actual transmission from an unconnected state. And this has been decreased. Um, of course, the people in 3GPP found out ways to decrease this and to, to make a lighter access procedure and so on. Uh, on the other hand, if we look into sporadic transmissions, which have to be reliable and uh, secure as well, so we need to have certain pre-authentication, pre-identification. So, so we have to count this after, the, for example, the secret keys have been exchanged and so on. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and, and again, uh, the, the role of machine learning there would be to try to predict the states of the devices that are accessing and based on that, decode the information that is coming. Because uh, we can think of the protocol information, uh, of the control information that is uh, kind of trying to tell to the destination what is the state machine of the, of the of state machine of the, the state of the state machine and the transmitter and trying to change the state machine of the receiver, right? Because we are having, a, let's say that we are in a state of establishing the connection. So we are sending our message, we tell what is our identity, maybe we say how much bandwidth we want and so on. Then after that, we have to transfer to another connected state. Mm. And, and this uh, transferring between states is basically exchange of control information. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah. 
let's switch topic a little bit here. And uh, I was thinking about frequency bands uh, because in, in 5G we are sort of really expanding what frequency bands we are using. Uh, I guess it, the, many of the first deployments of 5G is in the 3 gigahertz bands, but then there are the uh, intention of yeah, taking the 3G, 4G bands, uh, maybe below 1 gigahertz, use them for 5G eventually, and also to deploy new smaller cells uh, using millimeter wave spectrum. And different types of spectrum have different uh, kind of characteristics. Some uh, might be more reliable, reliable than others in terms of the, the fading characteristics, but some are also providing more bandwidth than others, which I suppose is a good thing for, for reliability. So, if you have to, to choose a certain frequency band to deploy new UR LLC uh, services, what band would it be? This is, uh, yeah, this is a difficult one. <laughs> uh, the, the, the point at the lower bands, as we know, is that uh, they are propagating uh, uh, longer. Uh, but that means that if there is a longer propagation, then you have a more unpredictability of the environment because there are more random factors in the environment that are affecting the final how the fi signal looks uh, how the signal looks finally right um, so um, there are multiple scatterers multiple i don't know diffraction and other uh, reflectors and so on and as we all know the reason that the uh, higher frequencies are uh, n do not have so large ranges lower frequencies is not the free space propagation in free space all the frequencies propagate in the, in the same way. That's, that's not the point. The point is that uh, they are affected by, the, uh, by these uh, scatterers, reflectors, uh, absorption. They are, they are affected differently by these frequencies. And of course, the diffraction, because uh, what is a, well, the longer wavelengths can go around some obstacle, the shorter are, are blocked by it, right? And uh, so in, in that sense that, that we have at the lower frequencies that we have a larger range, so we can support this communication over a larger range, but we have more unpredictable factors from the environment from the, that, that are affecting it. On the other hand, as we go to the larger, higher frequencies, then we have some form of on-off behavior that the range is shorter and the beam is either there or is not, or is blocked or is not. So, it's, and this is extreme, I would say, in terahertz frequencies, which are now popular for for for, for towards 6G. Um, so the, the, the point is that uh, uh, when uh, we have a different statistics of, uh, of, the, of the channel in terms of reliability at the lower and the higher frequency. So I would say that when we go at very high frequency, uh, terahertz and, uh, and, or, or millimeter wave, then we can simultaneously ask for high rate, high reliability and uh, low latency because there could be an all or nothing effect that either you get a very high rate or you don't get anything. But at the, at the lower frequencies, you have, of course, to decrease the rate because also the available bandwidth is, bandwidth is lower, but uh, it's inherently more unpredictable, I would say, because it, it, it's simply uh, based on, on, the, on the looking of the entropy of things. So if I have a range of uh, one kilometer, then any obstacle within that kilometer could affect my propagation and contribute to it. But if the signal is can only reach a couple of meters, 
then the number of uh, of factors that can affect its propagation is, is lower. Mm, yeah, so there might not be a clean answer here. And I suppose it also depends a lot on uh, if you want to cover a small region where you, you essentially know where your devices are going to be, or if you want to cover an entire city and what resources you have in terms of actually deploying things to achieve higher reliability in, in that part of the network yeah, phase. Yeah. Uh, or yeah, if indeed, you... I mean, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like using spatial diversity, this is a sheer fact that uh, the, the wavelength is longer at low frequencies means that if you want to use spatial diversity, then you need more space to, for your antenna array, right? So there are many factors that interplay here. It sounds like an interesting research problem to figure out, I mean, given some set of boundary conditions, what is the optimal carry frequency to use in order to minimize the latency or maximize the reliability for some given latency target and so forth. And uh, certain interesting rate, perspectives certain and well. a certain rate yeah. and maybe, yeah, or, or, you know, like a certain number of bits, right? I mean, if you just yeah. want to get a single bit across, that's a different game to play than as opposed to you want to get a gigabyte or something uh, across, I suppose. Um, so that's that's an interesting perspective and maybe the, something that seems a bit um, unexplored. And what I would also add to this is uh, is uh, is another thing. Maybe the propagation people have already uh, started to do something in this direction. But the fact that if you have a longer propagating wave, then uh, the resulting signal has a randomness and let's say ent entropy contribution from a larger environment. So the unpredictability has to be higher compared to signals which are propagating within a within a low region. How to formulate this rigorously to and yes. rigorously? Yes. Wow, yes. interesting um, new research problem, perhaps. <laughs> so uh, because there are so many different boundary conditions one can impose here, right? I mean, in addition to to to, to uh, bandwidth and power and all that, we have in classical comms theory. Now we might also have factors like what does the environment look like how much physical space do we have available for the aperture that's going to constitute our um, antenna or antenna array and so forth um, very neat indeed yeah um, so there's a final thing that um, um, we'd like to talk a little bit more with you about and that we have only touched upon very lightly I think and that is the concept of multi-connectivity and interface diversity I think something that you have also worked and published on in, in, in your yeah. papers Peter so um, my understanding has been that the purpose here is to to let the device connect w with multiple access points or, or even multiple standards at the same time so for example it could be connected to like Wi-Fi and at the same time it could be connected to, to 4G or 5G and then in the future 6G um, is that a correct understanding and do we need this? I mean, isn't 5G going to be enough here now with, with all this technology and, and all these new methods with grant free <laughs> and slicing yeah. and so forth? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I, think I, I tried to, 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 to have an opportunistic look into these multiple interfaces in a sense that, you know, our phone, uh, the phone that we carry in the pocket has uh, several wireless interfaces, you know, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, cellular, NFC and so on. Uh, and uh, the thing is that uh, if we go to the to the very basic uh, definition of a communication channel in information theory, 
is that the channel is a part of the system that you are unable or unwilling to, to change. So the channel is something that has been given to you and do the best you can with that. So if I'm an uh, information theorist standing, uh, uh, standing on top of uh, multiple interfaces where one is Wi-Fi, one is uh, Bluetooth, one is cellular and so on, so I would say, okay, let me define my communication channel on top of this. Let me define what the channel use would be and let me do a coding across these channels to see what I can achieve. So it's, it's kind of how can I opportunistically use the interfaces which are there. The second uh, point is that even if it, uh, the appearance of 5G doesn't mean that our phone is going to remove Bluetooth and Wi-Fi because they all have their use as well, right? Uh, the, the, the point is that if you have an application which is within a short range and you would like it to happen with high reliability, then maybe why not to use all, all, all the interfaces simultaneously if they are available. Uh, another point is that we try to think, uh, uh, especially us communication theorists within a single system perspective. So we have our model of a channel and you know antenna and so on. So we want to achieve something with uh, the best possible under some constraints. Uh, the thing is that in reality, it might be cheaper to add a new uh, Wi-Fi interface compared to adding many more antennas, you know, at the, at the device. So, so if, if, if so, then the question would be, with uh, instead of having n antennas, I have m antennas, and I have an additional interface. How would I use this system uh, when I integrate them at the at the link layer? So the, the the integration is not happening, of course, at the physical layer; it's happening at the higher layer. So it's a I I think it's just a pers different perspective on the available. Uh, communication channel and the possibilities you have with it. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not insisting that we always have to build systems with multiple interfaces, although the uh, the highly reliable systems like uh, airplanes, for example, as far as I know, they have three different communication systems for inter intraplane communication, which are redundant, and they are supplied by different um, suppliers, by different producers. Uh, so that uh, we, we, if, we, if there are some even errors in the software, we do not want them to appear in all three systems. So we have three, let's say, independent suppliers of uh, internal communication. Yeah, um, and, and that might be the key word here, right? I mean, obviously, being connected to multiple interfaces and, and so forth makes a great deal of sense from a reliability perspective. But I think the keyword is really independence, because if you think about it, if you got like 1% outage on one of your connections and 1% on some other connection, well, if the connections are independent and the combined outage, I mean, the chance of the risk that you have outage on both of the connections is like 1% squared, which is like 0.01% or something, right? But uh, the question is in wireless, will we have that? I mean, if you have like poor cellular coverage, perhaps it is because you went down in the basement and there your other link, whatever that might be, is also poor. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I guess that would have to be taken into consideration here, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so we cannot offer this high reliability absolutely everywhere. Of course, there are, there are points where this will not be offered. Uh, but the, the point you made there is, uh, is, uh, is actually very important, that you're saying that if they're independent, and uh, even if the reliability of one system is only 1%, that means that if it's independent of the other uh, system, it's going to improve the reliability for two orders of magnitude. Yes. Right? 
If it is independent. <laughs> if it is independent. But but you can you have to see that other factors here is that the 5G base station, uh, which is which is nearby, uh, if that fails because of I don't know power supply or whatever, then if you have another system connected to something else to some other access points, is going to to, to sustain right. Yeah, so so um, I think with in in that sense uh, with this densification in 5G, mm. putting multiple uh, access points, multiple base stations, uh, it's kind of contributing to this uh, improvement. Right, of, uh, multiple base stations or, or access points that perhaps are operated independently, like they have their own power supplies or or backup power supply yeah. backups rather, um, and. This, I think, also illustrates one of the most important points that I think you thought and highlighted for me in this conversation, namely that it's easy for, like, say, comms engineer to think about latency as being only being about avoiding the fading dips on the wireless channel, right? But in the end, latency and reliability are about so many different things, avoiding the fading dips for sure, but also making sure that, well, the equipment doesn't go down or some software doesn't crash or some buffer doesn't get overflowed or things don't take too long to process and so forth. Uh, so it's indeed a, a very rich topic, uh, this whole field with uh, latency and reliability when you when you really see it in a system context. Um, Emil, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I have one last question, which also sort of connects this. Whenever we have these really complex problems that are hard to optimize all dimensions at the same time, then machine learning appears as sort of our savior. Uh, at the same time, yeah, you were mentioning machine learning as a, as a tool that could be used here, but uh, I get a bit afraid of machine learning for reliability perspectives because you, you sort of collect a lot of data uh, and then you try to design algorithms or behaviors that are, are based on that data. And of course, what stands out in data is what happens most of the time. And most of the time, your network is anyway going to be stable. So the reliability issues happens uh, yeah, in atypical cases, and I suppose when it comes to connected cars or yeah, self-driving cars, you need to drive around for so many millions of hours in order to collect those atypical situations where you will run into uh, yeah a crash situation or something like that. So, if we will use ML protocols to help to get better reliability, how do we really do that? to not focus on the typical cases that they're already able to handle, but the, the, mm. the problematic cases? Um, so I think the, the, the machine learning, the, let's say the statistical machine learning, is fundamental to the problem of reliability. Because when we say, for example, that we have a probability of uh, 0.99999, that means that we actually know some distribution of our system, and then we design our system to come to that 0 0.9999. Mm. But this is a very strong assumption. How do we know this distribution? And the only way to know this distribution would be to collect data in the environment where you are. Uh, so this is not about uh, uh, model-based versus uh, data-based design. We simply need to have the data for the place where we are, in order to start to predict the reliability. So I'm, look, I'm now speaking about purely measuring the reliability. There is another problem of using machine learning to run the protocols, you know, the, to run uh -huh. deep neural networks and so on, 
So I'm just speaking about the very problem of, of reliability. So uh, think of the following, that let's say that you deploy a base station and then you put a mobile phone at one spot. And this mobile phone is collecting data for a long time, uh, days, you know, billions of samples. Then this mobile phone is going to get a pretty good uh, model of the environment. And then it can predict that if it sends with a rate uh, of a uh, certain amount, then the probability that the packet is, arrive, is going to arrive is certain amount. You know, this is the fading and so on. What is the distribution? So, and these parameters. Then uh, the question is, how can we predict the performance if we do not have infinite time to collect billions of, of samples? And there are a couple of interesting ideas there. One is um, uh, what, what we are working with my group now is some Bayesian approach. So we are trying to have some prior on the, uh, on the probability of uh, on, on the, on the reliability, because you can think that uh, this reliability that you are getting at a given point is a value you want to predict because machine, machine learning is about trying to predict something at a new input point, right? Mm. So I give you a coordinate, I give you a new coordinate and I'm saying I'm going to deploy my device here. What will be the reliability there? So I can try to predict that using machine learning, right? And to do that, uh, I have, uh, there are multiple ways. For example, you can have a certain prior and then just collect several samples, and based on these samples, predict what should be your reliability there. The, on the other hand, uh, communication protocols are agile in a sense that they do not need a definitive value. They can actually uh, make the protocol, adapt the rate, adapt the retransmission, and so on, to achieve target reliability if they know something about the statistics uh, that is happening in that environment. So, so uh, another way would be to use certain form of uh, meta-learning, uh, and uh, and my, my, my favorite example there is that you have industries that are uh, running factory automation. They, of course, they have different setups and they're in different countries maybe and so on. But there is some semantic similarity between them, right? So uh, so in, in a sense that they, uh, they assume that there is a common prior there that they can jointly train and then benefit from that to adapt to the task at hand, which is at, within their factory. So uh, this is leading to interesting, I would say, uh, maybe future models of, of wireless systems and operators where you have some micro operators that have a very good knowledge and very good models for certain type of environments. And they are going to calibrate your control algorithms and transmission algorithms to offer you high reliability. And this is specialized knowledge based on collected data elsewhere. So this is the use of machine learning for this statistical part, guaranteeing reliability. Then you have the use of machine learning within the communication protocols themselves, which are very complex and so on. And we have seen uh, tons of works on this, how to use, how to put a neural network to, for example, do scheduling, slicing, and so on. And these are all interesting works. And they are uh, addressing the problem of uh, complexity of devising these algorithms. And we can decide to use them or not, because mm. we could do a simple heuristic algorithm and so on. But for the machine learning part I was telling before, about predicting performance, we, can we cannot decide not to use it because we must use it mm. to predict the performance. Yeah, and I guess from a monitoring perspective as well, if you notice that sometimes you are not satisfying your reliability requirements, well, then you collect that data into a data set and you try to sort of deal with those situations in some way as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
Yeah. Yeah. So that was yeah. everything I had to to ask you. Do you have anything else, Eric? Quite amazing. I mean, uh, so many, or rather, that there are so many still uncovered and unsolved research problems in this field. Hmm. Um, I think we covered it all, and um, it might be time to close up here. So, with that, it's really great to have you, Peter. I learned a lot, and. Uh, Thank you very much for the very, very interesting, provocative questions. Uh, some of them deceptively simple, which made me think of things I didn't really think before. Yes. So thank you very much, Eric and Emil. Yeah, thank th you. Thank you very much for, for joining us and sharing uh, all of your nice thoughts uh, uh, about uh, how to build this type of system and how to, to really not go beyond just the, the simplest uh, ways of, of doing the math but also thinking more carefully about how do we design things and why do we design them mm. sounds good emil um thanks a lot and see you next time bye bye thank, thank you. you very much bye, bye.